Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call Chris Brewer at Affordable Heat and Air, 317-656-7945. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Alistair Jr. has the lead. One more turn to go. Here they come. Coming to the finish line. Bob Jenkins, who's going to win it? The checkered flag is out. Goodyear makes a move. Little Al wins by just a few tenths of a second. Perhaps the closest finish in the history of the Indianapolis 500. Here he comes, the National Guard machine with J.R. Hildebrand out along the white line. He is sputtering slow and he hits the wall. He hits the wall coming out of four. Will he have enough to cross the yard of bricks? Here comes, here comes J.R. Hildebrand. He will cross in front of the flag stand with the checkered flag waving the right side of the car destroyed. He finishes the race with the damaged race car. Who will win? Who is the winner? Weldon. Of the Dan it Weldon. Is Weldon. Dan Weldon has won the race. Simon Pagino trying to sweep the month of May and trying to go to eternal glory, winning his first ever Indianapolis 500. But Rossi is right there. He looks to the inside. Pagino is slipping all over trying to irritate that air. Now Alexander Rossi to the outside. Pagano shuts the door into number three. Simon Pagano, two colleagues in front of Alexander Rossi. Pagano got a strong on it for turn number four. He's going to pull away from Alexander Rossi. Simon Pagano sweeps the run. Simon Pagano wins the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Hello, welcome. Trackside 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. It's sort of a race weekend. We'll claim it. We'll get into that and much more tonight on the program and plenty more to cover from the uh, season opening NTT IndyCar Series race from just over a week ago. A little time off before they get to Texas to start off the month of April. We'll be into it, and we are 75 days today away from the Indianapolis 500. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan. Eddie Garrison is in our Indianapolis studios on Monument Circle on the program Later tonight, we'll talk a little sports car racing and IndyCar and IndyCar type racing with Kyle Kirkwood, who is racing this weekend and uh, flew at St. Petersburg last weekend. And also Josh Pearson, who raced at St. Petersburg and is racing twice at Sebring this weekend on both Friday and Saturday. So a total, now he'll have teammates, but what, about 18 hours? No, about 20 hours of racing in his team with the World Endurance Championship race, that's the series Le Mans uh, races in, and he will be at Le Mans for the second time. And then he's in the uh, the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. So interesting young fella in Indy Next, and Ed Carpenter Racing Development Driver, uh, and still just barely 17 years old. But a lot to get into tonight. Kurt, how are you? Welcome uh, to the program. <laughs> Thanks for uh, welcoming me to the program. It's nice uh, to be a guest on the program. It, it feels <laughs> like stopping it. by. Yeah, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for playing along. And our guests tonight are Kevin Lee and Kurt Cavan. It's a fabulous show. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that, but people have stuck around uh, with us for what the better part of 
15 years. So it's, it's good to be here. I think, you know, the week, the week after St. Petersburg last week on the show, I don't think we quite got to everything. I think there are still many things that I think I'd like to uh, tee up to you tonight. Some, some questions that I had at the start of the season, which now that we've seen just at least a preview of 2023, I'd like to follow up and see if, you know, how your opinion has changed. So we'll get to that probably in the second uh, segment tonight after we get to uh, the news of the day and so forth. So uh, we'll, we'll, there was a test yesterday, by the way, and we've got times and some developments there we'll get to. I guess I'll start off with this. Uh, let's list, because I know not everyone pays super close attention to sports car racing. I hope you do. But uh, we tend to make it somewhat as confusing as possible. But there are a lot of IndyCar people involved this weekend. Not as many as the Rolex. So this is um, maybe I cut and paste this from the IndyCar website. Uh, so I haven't fully gone through and looked at the entry list, but it's another big entry list for the Sebring 12 hours. Scott McLaughlin is going to be back in the LMP2 class. Joseph Newgarden is not, but McLaughlin is there on that team. Elio Castroneves does all the endurance races with Meyer Shank Racing. We'll get to that in a moment. Our guest Kyle Kirkwood with the Vassar Sullivan team. Romain Grosjean again in a GTD Pro Car in a Lamborghini. And then some people we know pretty well, recent drivers in IndyCar like Sebastian Bourdais. He's on the Cadillac team for Chip Ganassi Racing. Ben Hanley is on an LMP2 program uh, way back in the day. Ryan Dial, Ed Jones, who is one of what? You know, we, we can adopt uh, the NASCAR Circuit of the Americas race, too. You've got three or four Formula One drivers, a couple of IndyCar drivers. We'll get to that later on. But Ed Jones will be there this weekend. Remember Tonus Kasimitz, who is a current Road to Indy engineer? Well, he's driving at Sebring this weekend. Gabby, Gabby Chavez. Jack Hawksworth, Frank Pereira, Jan Halen, Catherine Legg, who's back to being a current IndyCar driver this year in the Indy 500. And then quite a few Indy Next drivers, too. I don't have that full list in front of me, but, boy, I'm going to say, you know, the likes of Kiffin Simpson, Josh Pearson, who I mentioned. Let me pull up the Indy Next roster sheet, and that should give me a little better idea. Uh, Christian Rasmussen is again for Aero Motorsport in LMP2. And I think that's it. I don't think Daniel Frost has entered this weekend as of yet. Sometimes things change. Oh, Nolan Siegel. Nolan Siegel does a lot of sports car racing. So those are that's an incomplete list, but those are some of the people we will see coming up this weekend. Uh, notable news, one of the IndyCar teams that won the Rolex. I won't get too deep in the weeds, but did, did you know, Kurt, that they took away they didn't take away the win, but they took away pretty much most of the points, gave them last place points for Meyer Shank racing. This is a big story within sports car racing. They basically were were caught manipulating data. They were, to put it bluntly, accused of cheating in the race. They didn't take away the watches, though, and they didn't take nope. away the, you know, ultimately for the driver's standpoint, the notation that they won the race and the and the Rolex that goes with it is is pretty big deal to the drivers. The drivers don't worry about points, especially in an endurance uh, driver type role. So, yeah, it's it's significant, certainly a big story, and and honestly, it's not the story that I expected to see from Meyershank Racing, honestly, uh, but it is what it is. Yeah, uh, for those that didn't see it, there are minimum tire pressure 
um, guidelines. Because if you, you know, you see this in NASCAR sometimes that they go uh, opposite of what Goodyear recommends and then you blow tires and then the tire manufacturer gets blamed for that. And all along, they just weren't doing what the tire manufacturer recommended that they do. I don't know if that's the cut and chase of it uh, or, or if it's more about a performance and, you know, we just need to to try to keep a handle on things because in sports car racing, you do have balance of performance and they try to equalize the manufacturers, but they apparently uh, manipulated the sensors because IMSA can regulate that. And if you are below that threshold, then you can serve a penalty throughout the race. And it was HPD Honda that noticed it after the results were verified and basically turned in their partner uh, because obviously they don't want to be accused of anything like that as well. And from what I've seen from publicly from, from Michael Shank, it's um, we have dealt with this and the employee who is responsible for this, as they would say on a Monty Python skit has been sacked and will not return. But the engineer responsible for that, it's essentially being described as he made the call. He didn't tell us what he was doing. You know, I'm sure that subordinates would have known, but I don't think you can blame the guy in charge of the tires for doing what the engineer, who is his boss, says to do. So that engineer, who's very well known and has been with the program for a long time, is no longer there. So that's a big impact as well for Meyer Shank Racing. They keep the win. They keep the Rolex, but it gets a little bit murky because now instead of being first in points in the championship trying to defend they are last in point. So that'll be a little bit of a storyline this weekend. We'll deal with it. We'll address with it on the broadcast. And then we'll, uh, I think, see really entertaining racing. And just like Daytona, remember, these are hybrid cars. And Daytona is much smoother than Sebring. Very bumpy. Uh, big question mark whether everybody can last in GTB, the GTP. So it should be a lot of fun. We're on Peacock for the entire 12 plus hours. That's the simplest way. And that's the only way to find us at the beginning. And then we join USA at 4.30 for the final six hours of the broadcast. And uh, green so flag. basically 10 a.m. until uh, 10.30 p.m. is when we're on the air and starting at 4.30 on USA. But Peacock all day is the plan. So there's our sports car twist. And we'll get to more with uh, Kyle Kirkwood and Josh Pearson later on. Yeah, I think this is a, a really good event and, and you know, coming on the heels of Daytona's, you know, kind of gives us some more in the springtime to to watch. I wish IndyCar raced there. I mean, I, actually, I don't wish for the purpose of the schedule, the IndyCar schedule that it raced at Sebring, but I wish it was, it would be easier for IndyCar fans to watch Sebring had they seen an IndyCar race there and watched it with with regularity. As many times as I've been to Sebring, which isn't nearly as many as you've been to in the last calendar year, um, <laughs> or it feels they, like it They anyway. say, hello, Mr. Lee, when I walk in, yes. Yeah. The uh, track president, general manager, is a close friend of mine, so he, I, I do have that uh, same welcome from, from the uh, staff. But anyway uh, – you know, as, as many times as I've been there, and, and it's partly because the IndyCar people use a different course or a different aspect of the course to test. I don't know Sebring on the back of my hand like I will other races during the course of the year. I watched Daytona enough, even though it's not the same track either, that the NASCAR guys use uh, for the Daytona 500 
And the July race, it's still been a, a track that I know pretty well. Anyway, that said, I'm I'm eager to uh, to join the coverage, and I'll do so probably at 4.30 when it comes on network, on uh, USA. Okay. Uh, Barber test from yesterday. First development was probably, well, maybe even before things got going, because I know it was cold in the morning, and they got a late start. Release sent out by Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan that Jack Harvey had not been medically cleared by IndyCar yet and would not be participating. Yuri Vips, who tested with them at Sebring back in the fall, uh, was in the car filling in for Jack Harvey. It was not listed what the injury was, nor has it been listed when he was taken to the hospital after St. Petersburg. Jack mentioned that he had sore wrists. So all we know factually is that he was not cleared and he will need to pass uh, medical clearance by IndyCar to be in the car in Texas, which is still, what, three weeks away at this point. So that's obviously concerning for Jack, and we wish him the best. So I don't sense that it's going to be a lingering issue. Um, I don't know the details either. At least I've I've not received him on official uh, declaration you know, my suspicion is, I mean, you have a car going over the top and, you know, you, you kind of took impact from several different directions. There could be a number of things. The first thing you always go to is, you know, did you get, did you get, I don't want to say concussed, but do you have some kind of uh, rattling around? You know, it's, that was a, that was an impact. And so. Well, and he had a concussion or something like that. That may mean not, not the right phrase, but he missed the Texas race last year because of some sort of head incident. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know if that's what it is. I can't guess at all. I don't know if it's a day or a month. Since no one is saying officially what it is, I'm not even going to offer a guess whether this is a, a big concern or not. Yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm still, from the optimist standpoint, not suspecting that in three weeks this will still be an issue. So it could have probably just been out of precaution, and if that was the case, um, which would make know, sense. Yeah, yeah, which would make sense. So anyway, Yuri Vips uh, test, he again acquitted himself pretty well. He did so at that Sebring test back in October and, you know, ran ahead of a couple guys that, uh, you know, have more experience in this series than he does. Um, so, you know, he's a young kid, 22 years old. Uh, what is he from Estonia? Is he British? Uh, I guess he's from, uh, you know, certainly from Estonia, I think was where he's natively from, but he's a young kid, 22 years old, been in the, you know, in the uh, Red Bull program uh, from the junior side and obviously has a lot of talent because he's shown well in his two IndyCar tests. And he's won three times in F2, which is the series that produced Callum Eilat and Christian Lungard. So you can kind of understand seeing how fast those guys have been, why others are saying, hmm, we might want to look into that a little bit. We might find some something there. Uh, so, you know, kind of working our way from the bottom up. And again, testing times, you don't know what people are working at. The thing that was most glaring as you look at the very bottom was Simon Pagino. Uh, So maybe he was, maybe they tried two different paths. Elio got one, was uh, just shy of mid-pack, and Simon got the less preferred option on the day. Uh, so, but... I know that's a team that's trying to be better than they were last year. So, yes, it's a test, but you're always trying to go fast. So that's not super for them 
being 11th and 16th. The others at the bottom are young drivers. No surprise there. Learning what IndyCar does at Barber. Stingray Rob was 15th. Uh, Augustine Canapino was 14th. I think that's still amazing that that Canapino going to a new track uh, it, at all and still limited experience is faster than anyone. Rookie, veteran, whatever. Yuri Vips was right ahead of him. Benjamin Peterson ahead of him. Then Elio. And then, oh, and by the way, then there was a big four-tenths of a second gap uh, up to Scott Dixon. The top 10 were all separated by a half a second or so. Fastest? Uh, Team Penske was really strong. One-two with Scott McLaughlin and Will Power. Joseph Newgarden was fifth. Christian Lungard was the fastest Honda. He was third quick. Alex Pillow was fourth. If you're looking to see how Lungard compares to his teammate, Graham Rahal was about two-tenths off of him and ninth overall. Yeah, actually, the top ten were closer even than a half a second. It was about uh, about three and three-quarters of a second. So it was really tied up front. Uh, oh, I must have from, a different chart then. Maybe, aside, I, maybe I have the full day and you have a one of the sessions. Maybe you have the afternoon session. I might have. It, but McLaughlin being two-tenths clear of the field was was impressive at least yes uh you know even more so than just being on top but being two tenths quicker than than power and then everybody else three tenths or three tenths and a half roughly uh you know that that really speaks to how good mclaughlin has been and marcus armstrong was sixth i think overall on the day if we have the same chart yep. so good good for him a good a good start uh you know you go back to just this this barber facility, you know, we saw 16 of the of the 27 competitors in this test, so it, it was well represented. Seven teams involved, so you can start to. While we don't usually put a whole lot of emphasis on a test, you can start to to draw some conclusions. One of them is Christian Lundgaard's off to a pretty good start this season after finishing ninth in St. Pete and. Scott McLaughlin is is going to be everything uh, we thought he would be in 2023. So who do we not see? We did not see Andretti Autosport, who has been fast everywhere they've been so far this season. So uh, that will be an unknown going in to the Barber weekend. So they save a test day. They choose to use it somewhere else. I don't know if they've used it already for an extra Sebring day, or I suspect they have saved it for something down the road, we did not see the Errol McLaren drivers, so those are fast drivers. I think they're all at, uh, or at least, at least Rossi and Pato are at what's it called, South by Southwest. The big, what would you describe that as? It's, well, it's music, but it's a lot more than music. It's technology, it's uh, innovation, it's marketing. I don't know what it is, but I know it's a big deal. And art, let's call it a uh, convention for really smart and artistic people and and big thinkers, creative people, and creative yeah, people. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good way of saying it. It's it really gets a, a lot of uh, touches a lot of bases in the creativity department. And that being in Austin, Texas, you can if you've been to Austin, you you understand the vibe and and it fits well there. What do they say? Keep it weird. Keep it weird. <laughs> uh, ECR was not there. And anyone else? I think that's it. So you were missing those three teams. So that's a pretty good indication of, of where things stand and uh, what we're going to see moving forward. 
And, you know, I would think in general, it's just everybody's had five days in the car. So getting an extra day is valuable. And they did a lot of running. They did, McLaughlin did 104 laps. Um, not as many for Marcus Erickson. He did only 40. I read on Motorsport, I think David Malsher Lopez wrote that he had an off on the outlap that damaged the rear wing uh, and maybe a little bit more. So they spent a lot of time repairing that. So, Fresh off a win, taking the championship, uh, you know, you go right back to reality that, oh, yeah, it's really cold. It's really difficult on the outlap, and I'll have to sit and wait a little while. But he got back up to speed pretty quickly after that. And if you're you're going to have uh, an off, best to do it in testing where there's still time to recover. There's also a test uh, for the rookies on Thursday at Texas Motor Speedway. That's right. Uh, three rookies will be there, Benjamin Peterson, uh, Stingray Robb, and Augustine Canapino. Canapino will be the really interesting case study. Uh, you know, the other two have oval experience in, in Indy Next, but Canapino will see an oval for the first time or at least uh, drive an oval for the first time. So I'll be eager to talk to him either Thursday night or Friday to find out how that went. So we weren't planning on Twitter questions, but that reminds me of one, and I was able to grab it quickly from last week that I didn't get to, and because it's from a hashtag moose friend, from Don Parrish, uh, who said, is it not interesting that a lot of preseason talk was about the lack of open wheel time that Canapino has, and yet Scotty Mack almost won the race and did win the race last year right out of the box from V8 supercars? So one thing I would say is, yes, I, I do believe that um, I do believe that McLaughlin's success and maybe a Robert Wickens success, Pierce Phillips told me that last year when they started looking around, Hey, it doesn't just have to be from the road to Indy ladder or F3 and F2. A good race car driver is a good race car driver. So we're going to open up our eyes a little bit. And I do think that success makes it easier for Ricardo Juncos to say, you know what? This guy's really good in touring cars in Argentina. So let's give him a look. So I think that's part of it. Now, I would also say that that Scott didn't win right out of the box. Remember, he had had a full year, plus one race, plus another test before he came on and won the opener last year. But point being, yes, not a whole lot of experience. So, you know, can Canapino be there next year? Probably not, but he's a lot better than people expected, including Canapino himself and Hunkos. Hunkos told me at the thermal test, Ricardo said, you know, I think he's probably going to be last, but that's okay. We're going to give him time. He's going to get better. I think he's better already than anybody thought. Yeah, and keep in mind that when you talk about the comparisons, McLaughlin was in a Penske car, and Canapino is in a new program with yeah. a team that's only been full-time for about a year. So, you know, this this is the second car. And, and look, we all believe that Ricardo Juncos is going to develop this program at the right pace and and with the right resources. And he wouldn't have done it had he not expected the second car to be, you know, at least well staffed. But it's a it's a young program going to two cars. So it's a big difference in Team Penske. The other thing you keep in mind is McLaughlin won these championships in what is highly regarded uh, a highly regarded racing series. What we don't know a whole lot about is the Argentine Touring Car Championship. It doesn't get the same credibility uh, as you know the the V8 Supercars in Australia. So 
different level of at least perceived competition and and status and the team he's joining clearly doesn't have the uh the wherewithal to compete with a Penske car at this point in its in its uh development but I am super happy for Augustine Canapino I loved your conversation with him I have still not met him yet I didn't cover his pit last weekend and have not had a chance but I am impressed with him as an individual learning English in three and a half months to the point where he's really good at it. And, you know, some of the quotes he's, he's very realistic, but he's better already than even he imagined. So uh, as that team develops and Callum Eilat gets a top five, great. We, we like parody. We like seeing more than just the same teams run up front. And this is hopefully going to be a new fresh story and a team to root for this season. And I must say, I mean, I've you've had extensive time with Calamilot as I have, and and I've had a little more time with Canapino. But these are both guys you could root for. I mean, they're they're just likable individuals, and so uh, it's it's you know, and Ricardo Junco's you know his story and his personality is infectious as well. So this they're they're a team you can root for, and that's that's uh, pleasing. Let's touch on just a couple of other news items before we get into to recapping more of St. Pete and what you have on the notepad. So here's what's coming up at Circuit of the Americas uh, the last weekend in March. So that is the week before the Texas IndyCar race, so racing in Texas back-to-back weekends. Today, Jimmy Johnson announced that he's doing that race. We kind of suspected that. He's also going to do NASCAR Chicago. He's going to do the road course race at IMS, I think. No, no. Um no, I don't know that that's been confirmed. He confirmed the Coke 600 today, the same day as as the Indy 500. Uh, Jensen Button is going to be doing the cup race in the Rick Ware car. And Connor Daly is also going to be in that race. I mentioned Ed Jones is going to be in the race. Uh, who else? I think there was some somebody else was doing the truck race that weekend. <laughs> At Circuit of the America. Oh, uh, Jordan Taylor is going to be doing the cup race, filling in for Chase Elliott. So not only is he doing the race, he's in a really good car. And okay, who's in the truck race is Ed Jones. I believe Ed is doing the truck race, not the cup race. Kimi Raikkonen is doing the cup race. So there is a Formula One revival there that weekend and some IndyCar connections. So... We're going to have to watch that one a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We've always seen ringers on the road course races, but it, it hasn't typically come from Formula One. So that'll be uh, interesting. And, and IndyCar as well in this case. With, with And they've gotten uh, away from ringers in the last few years. You used to always see that because not very many of the NASCAR drivers were very good on road courses. And if they weren't championship contenders, teams would replace them with Boris Said or Tommy Kendall or, uh, you know, who am I thinking? Uh, Ron Fellows, you know, th- people like that. Well, now, well, I'm going to say 30 of the cup drivers are all pretty good at road course events. So it's been more difficult to find spots uh, and and to make up the difference. Knowing the car is probably more advantageous than being good at road course racing. And part of that is because they race half a dozen times now. They have to be competent, if not more than that, when it comes to road course racing. So I, that's Alex what Tag- I got. Alex Tagliani, uh, Andy yep. Lally, 
so yeah, they've had they've had a bunch of different guys, but you're right, Ron Fellows. He seemed to appear uh, many times in those races. So, all right, we'll get into what we missed from St. Pete. Continue going through the box score. Uh, more Twitter comments coming up at Kevin Lee twenty three at Kurt Cavan. Just getting started. Trackside 93.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Alex Palou, and you're listening to Trackside. Thank you for staying with us. Trackside 93.5, 107.5, The Fan in Indianapolis. Rest of March, we don't have IndyCar to talk about upcoming races, but that works out well for us because we didn't finish talking about the opening event, and you've got Sebring coming up this weekend as well and plenty of other things to get into. Kurt, where do we want to uh, start off from where we left off last week with St. Pete's? Well, I think you know one of the things I did uh, during the you know, lead up to the, to the event was, and I think I did this with Nathan Brown as I gave him a series of like, which would you choose or, you know, something along those lines and either or type of conversation. So let me, let me throw a couple of those at you oh. that, uh, that I asked Nathan and I think they're still pretty applicable. And this will lead us into the discussion about the drivers themselves and their performances. But I asked the question of which driver would be most likely to be a first-time winner in 2023. And I threw out Christian Lundgaard and David Malukas, who were 1-2 in in Rookie of the Year last year. They finished ninth and 10th, and they both looked really good at St. Petersburg. I don't know how you would have answered the question going into the race season, but now that we've seen them at St. Pete, Christian Lundgaard or David Malukas for the first-time race winner? Christian Lungard. I think yeah. I would have said that before the season started. And, you know, maybe this is uh recency bias, but looking that he was third in the test yesterday, I, I just think Lungard is going to be a little more consistently quick with what they have. Uh it's it's another engineering change this year for Dale Coyne. Now that said, they always figure it out. People keep stealing Dale Coyne employees. Uh, lost his chief mechanic. Todd Phillips have been there for a long time. He's gone. He's on Rossi's car now. You know, one of uh, a few changes. But they'll figure it out. But I think Lungard will have more cracks at it, be in a position where the car is quick enough, and then you got to get the brakes to finish it off. And, and I don't also say this. I'm not going to say it's a lock that Lungard wins a race because there are eight or nine other people that every week feel like they should win the race. And he's not yet in that top eight or nine. He's real close. And maybe he'll be there by the time we're done this season. But I do give him the best chance. And I think he probably wins a race this year. Best That was best chance of the two of them, of course. And I combine those based on their rookie of the year performances last year or their competitiveness for it. But Ramon Grosjean literally looks like a, a possible race winner. What, what odds would you give Ramon of winning a race this year? High. Yeah. I would rate him higher than Lungard. It, you know, he could have, should have won this opening race. It, it comes down to him and McLaughlin. Uh, I think if McLaughlin pits with Grosjean, they beat him out, but they didn't. And then Grosjean had a chance to beat him on the track. Uh, so, but, but I do think Grosjean will win a race this year. 
What do you think about uh, more likely to win a championship here? Marcus Erickson, who won the St. Pete race, or Scott McLaughlin, who obviously looked like a driver who could have and should have won this race himself. Erickson, that is a good one. Erickson or McLaughlin? Because I've been on the Erickson bandwagon uh, from the first year he got to Ganassi and I think started to show some of the potential. And they just had little hiccups and the results were not as good as I think he was and the car was at times. But I picked McLaughlin to win the championship, so I got to stick with that all right. Yeah, Rookie, that's that's a little bit of an uphill battle now because this is not a, a 36 race season. It is a yep. 17 race season, and one guy has a significant advantage already, but I gotta go with where I started. So one race into the season, we've got we got four teams that produce arguably really good results in in St. Petersburg. We're always looking for which team is probably the one that emerged. Let me throw this out at you. Ganassi had three cars in the first uh, eight finishers with a first and a third being Marcus Erickson, Scott Dixon. The Penske team didn't look as good, but obviously McLaughlin, I mean, in terms of results, McLaughlin looked great on the racetrack. Will Power battled back to seventh. The Earl McLaren boys finished second and fourth. Felix Rosenquist was bumped out of the way. All the Andretti cars look good. If if we're just looking one race in, and I, I know there's miles and miles to go, which team looks looks like the first out-of-the-box team to you? So by that definition, I'm going to say if we just average the teams, their average finish, I'm still picking Team Penske, even knowing that they have not had it together at the Indy 500. Um, but I guess maybe the way to look at it is let's just look at points for the season. I think Team Penske, let's just take the top three, since they only have three from each of the teams. So that allows Andretti to take their top three. I still think Team Penske, you know, look at where they were last year. What were they? Yep. One, two, uh, five. Where did McLaughlin end up? Four, uh, five? Fourth. Tied for fourth. fourth. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm still going to take Team Penske. Yeah, it's at least interesting because Ganassi put it two is. on the podium. Yes, uh, Andretti, you could argue, should have had – I mean, they had three in the fast six. I know that's a street circuit where they will likely be the strongest. And, oh, by the way, Earl McLaren just came out of the box with three cars now and looked really good at the at the finish of that race. There's been some conversation this offseason we had on one of our conference calls. You know, do we need to stop saying the big three when two have won the championship the last 10 years? Probably reality it is a big two. Who's going to be the next – all of that said, there is the potential for four teams this year. All four of those teams, I think, are going to win multiple races. And if you win multiple races as a team, I kind of think you're one of the big boys. Yeah, I think so, too. Rookie of the year. I thought it was an interesting group of guys and and uh, their performances in St. Pete. Did you draw any conclusions from Marcus Armstrong finishing 11th, Canapino 12th, Stingray Rob kind of, you know, was obviously part of that first race or first lap incident, as was Benjamin Peterson. It's murky down there at the at the moment, but what do you make of the of the four rookies? So I don't think anything changed from what we thought going in. That Marcus Armstrong is the one, and and partly because he's with one of those big teams. He's with a championship contending team. He's in a great car, so he has a slight advantage 
he has an advantage in that regard. But Armstrong is going to be consistently the strongest most of the time among the rookie class on pace and on results. I was going to ask you kind of specifically about, you know, regrets of the weekend. If if there was a driver that that most would like to have his moment back. And I think Scott McLaughlin is the answer. But this would lead us. The other one that comes to mind for me is a mistake that was made in qualifying when Simon Pagino caused the caution in qualifying and that relegated him to the back, which doesn't mean you're going to finish back there, but it does put you in peril when there's trouble ahead on the opening lap. You know, I guess, you know, again, I think McLaughlin's probably the one that's kicking himself the most because he could have won that race and and instead had contact and, and a penalty. But I guess compare maybe the two, Pagano's mistake in qualifying versus McLaughlin's mistake in the race. I think Simon has mentioned that, that my mistake in qualifying is what put us in, in this situation. So, yes, you still got a chance to recover, but when you do start that far back, you are in more peril. So that's another reason why uh, that you, you got to stay out of trouble. And even if 16th is not great, it's you got a lot better chance of getting through than if you're in the mid-20s. Here's the question we're going to debate tomorrow on IndyCar.com, and we've been doing this you know, in a roundtable format every week for a, a couple of years now. Which driver helped their championship chances the most of these championship contenders help themselves the most at St. Pete? Erickson's win, award finishing on the podium along with Scott Dixon, or Will Power driving to seventh after a penalty? I don't know that there's a right answer there. May not uh, be. Because, uh, you know, obviously Erickson scores the most points, so that's the most beneficial. But if indeed power is a champion again, these are the types of days that you look back and say, "Woo, you started 10th. Uh, he, had, he had a penalty in the race, did he not? Yeah, he ran into Colton Herta. Yeah, so he has a penalty in the race. Did he do a drive through or just go to he went to the back of the field. So it's not as penalizing uh and because there was so much attrition, you know, the back of the field by the end of the race was 12th. Uh but so that's one of those surviving. You know, I would even throw in a Rossi. Rossi yeah. had a mid-pack car. If they get it figured out and on a weekend where from where it started, he's thinking, "Uh, this is going to be like it was last year, and I'm going to be 16th, and he finishes fourth. If they get it figured out, Rossi yeah. uh, might still be in, in the championship mix. Yeah, let me two quick ones to, to kind of wrap up this discussion. I was going to ask you the bigger surprise, Alan Eilat finishing fifth or Augustine Canapino finishing finishing uh, what was he 12th. And I think I think for me it's Canapino. That was a great, great drive. But they're both – I say surprising given the two car expansion of that team. So good for both of them. Maybe Callum Eilat. Callum was the more competitive uh, one. Canapino did what he needed to be. It's not like he was super quick. That's not a criticism at all. He was just feeling it out. He stayed out of trouble. You know, even after the caution fairly late, he was still 13 seconds behind the rest of the pack. So good, smart drive, but a top five is a big deal. Last one. Uh, which Andretti, which of the Andretti cars impressed you the most? Grosjean on the pole and and competing for the win 
Colton Herta, I guess maybe not impressed you the most, but which one has the most uh, kind of staying power for the season or Kirkwood qualifying where he did and looking really good? So I would say it's Grosjean because a lot of us have been on the Kyle Kirkwood hype wagon for quite some time. So we should say we're not surprised. We knew he would be quick there. He backed up what we thought he was. As Danny Green would say, he is who we thought he is. Kyle Kirkwood is really good. But Grosjean had a rough year. This is big for him for confidence, for the team's confidence. You know, I know it didn't end the way they wanted, but that's not their fault. They are in position to do what they feel like they should have been doing last year. So Grosjean's the one that benefits most from that pace that weekend. Agreed. And and Herta will uh, certainly be in the mix because he he has a chance of winning virtually everywhere. Maybe Indianapolis is the one place in the year where he's not been great, but he's got a shot. And one thing to watch with Colton Herta is they still have designs of taking him to Formula One. I think he needs to finish in the top three in the championship to get that super license points. Now, there would be a way around it. They could do a lot of end of the season, free practice ones and score some more points. But that would be the easiest path to guarantee it happens. All right, plenty more to come, including Kyle Kirkwood, Josh Pearson, and your tweets, too, coming up. Trackside 93.5-1075, The Fan. Hi. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is Pato Award, and you're listening to Trackside. Hey, some news we haven't covered yet that we... we probably should have started with a little bit earlier in the program. The Hall of Fame class for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for this year has been announced, and it includes Tim Sendrick, the president of Team Penske. He's been a part of eight Indy 500 wins, so much more over his career. Really happy for Tim as someone who grew up not very far from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'm sure this means a lot to him. Pike High School grad, here in Indianapolis on the west side, northwest side of Indianapolis. So congrats to Tim Sendrick. And also Tony George, uh, the former IMS president, CEO, part of the family that saved the Indianapolis 500 with Tony Holman in 1945. So I know Tony George is polarizing. Uh, I'm biased in this because I I like Tony, and I look at uh, some things beyond the politics of cart IRL. And let's think about it from this standpoint, from safety. I don't think that can be disputed. He, in my opinion, uh, I'm sure other people are involved, but he was a major, if you just want to put it mildly, at minimum, a major driving force in the safer barrier and many other developments that have saved drivers' lives. He brought Formula One to Indianapolis, MotoGP, the road course, You may not like NASCAR being there, but boy, it has been good business for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and it has helped IndyCar as well through some some funding through through that too. Um, So congrats to Tony George. Congrats to Tim Sendrick. One other note, uh, Indy Next has added a driver, Toby Sowery, and this will apply to what we're getting to the next hour. Toby Sowery, we've seen in Indy Lights before, really good young driver. He's going to do events at Barber, the road course at Indianapolis and Laguna Seca in the HMD car, and at least the first couple he's filling in for a guest next hour, Josh Pearson, 
who will be busy doing things like preparing for Le Mans in the World Endurance Championship. Josh has two races at Sebring this weekend, both of them endurance races. We'll talk to him. We'll talk to Kyle Kirkwood about running at Sebring and launching, uh, getting big air at St. Pete uh, a week and a half or so ago. That's coming up next. Hour 2, Trackside, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hi, this is Kyle Kirkwood, and you're listening to Trackside. Thank you for staying with us. Hour number two of Trackside on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan in Indianapolis. As we prepare for another racing weekend, it's not IndyCar, but we've got a lot of IndyCar participation. Well, one from the broadcasters starting on uh, Peacock Saturday morning at 10 a.m. and then USA at 4.30. It's most of your IndyCar friends and family and a lot of drivers as well, including Kyle Kirkwood, the driver of the number 27 AutoNation Honda for Andretti Autosport. And then this weekend in the number 14 Vassar Sullivan Racing Lexus in GTD Pro. Kyle, how are you? Good to good to chat with you. Yeah, yeah, all good. Thanks for having me on. So we'll get to sports car racing for the weekend coming up in just a moment. Let's go back to St. Petersburg. Uh, safe to say that was pretty eventful for you. A lot of good and yeah. some that you'd wish you'd gotten a little better breaks at different times. Yeah, it was uh, it was super up and down for me. Um, to start to start the weekend, we were fast. I mean, we were top three every single session um, until qualifying where we qualified fifth. Um, I tried doing something special in qualifying and didn't even make it a lap in, in the fast six. Uh, but you couldn't take anything away from, from what we did. We put three cars in the fast six and, um, it was my first, first attempt at, at, uh, going for a pole ever in, in IndyCar. So I was ecstatic about that. It was a good, good way to start, to start off the year, no doubt. Um, and then into the race, it was kind of a situation where IndyCar, uh, uh sorry, Andretti Autospar was expected to win. Um, and we did probably the furthest thing from that. We had pretty much four cars out of, out of contention within the first 50 laps. Um, and I was the only one to even finish the race, um, being three laps down after an incident with Jack Harvey and, and Rena's BK, they both, they both ended up in the fence and, um, caused a quite a big pile up. And, um, I was the next one to follow through and ended up going over the top of, of Jack Harvey, um, what, what was surprising to me is how much the car could actually take is yeah. I was solid six, seven feet in the air, I think. And all of the weight pretty much came down on the rear tires of the car and it maxed out all of our load sensors and, and whatnot. So we don't even know how much force was actually in the back wheels, but I was able to continue. We put a new wing on and a new uh, front left toe link. And, um, I was back out there running the same lap times as the leaders, just three laps down, unfortunately, but overall it was a good weekend. Amazing. We talked about this last week, the cars that Delara builds and the suspension parts. I'm going to guess when you landed and I even heard your radio, you said, I'm okay. The car is not. Did you think there was any chance you would be able to continue? No. And honestly, um, I stopped just, just 
based off of that, the car went into Annie stall and I should have been able to grab the clutch and then continued on. Um, but the wing was, was caught under the car and I would have had to stop anyways, but I potentially could have drove it back down to pit lane and, and never even gone off the lead lap. You could have been on the podium. Yeah, it could, it could have been, it could have, yeah. it could have been still in, in contention for the, for the win. Um, but I actually stopped based on thinking the car was absolutely destroyed from that wreck. And I thought I potentially might've injured myself. And then I realized that I was, that I was actually absolutely fine. Um, and we continued, I mean, if it wasn't for the three laps down, we probably could have been in contention for the, for the win still. Yeah, you said you said this. Uh, you thought you might have been injured. This was a situation where those cars land. The floor, being as it is, has injured a lot of backs. Um, what do you know about the safety? I mean, does it? Do we not give enough credit to the safety elements in that particular incident that the landing didn't hurt you? Yeah, you know, um, that was that was my initial thought. Right, is that um, is that I might have injured my back. That's why I came, I came to to stop and I was like, Did, am I okay? Because you kind of have all this adrenaline and I've hurt myself before in the car and then you don't feel anything until you get out and you get into into the emergency vehicle. So as I sat there for a second, thinking to myself like, okay, I'm like calming down. Am I injured? Am I okay? I came to the conclusion that I was absolutely fine because I felt a little bit of pain initially when I hit, but it, it all went away after a couple minutes of me sitting there waiting on, on IndyCar safety to come over and restart the car. And I had no issues post-race. Um, everyone was telling me, it's like, oh, man, your back's going to be sore the next day. But I didn't have any issues. And I, I actually went surfing the next day, which puts a lot of stress on your lower back. So um, it, it just goes to show like how safe the, these cars are. And there was plenty of incidents that past weekend that um, could have turned into very uh, very bad situations, especially 15, 20 years ago. So, um, I mean, hats off to what Delara has done and what IndyCar has done for their safety initiatives because it, it's truly paying off now. From an entertainment standpoint, I think fans sometimes enjoy the chaos that a street race presents. Uh, as someone responsible for crash damage for a junior formula car, I do not care for street races. Uh, and and this looked more like a junior formula race. So what what we saw in IndyCar is what a lot of the USF 2000 and pro races look like with just cars, not necessarily airborne, but scattered all over the place. Because, you know, in some cases, these kids, it's their very first race and it's on a street race. Any idea why at the IndyCar level it was there was so much attrition, so much contact. And, and, um, and yes, I do. I know exactly what the issue was. Um, well, I mean, for, firstly, it's, you have 27 cars on, on a very small track that, that is never, it usually turns into big accordion effects. And then you have these pileups like you saw and whatnot, but, um, the biggest contributor where you saw most of the incident incidents this weekend was, from the beginning of turn three to the exit of turn four, right? That is the only place on the track that had brand new pavement. And if you look back into practice one, everyone was spinning off and hitting walls and, and going straight and the runoffs all just due to that new pavement. So what happens is we create a ton of grip online. 
And now that we have all this grip online, there's a massive discrepancy between online grip and offline grip. Yeah, you have marbles. Yeah, you have dust. Yeah, you have dirt. But now you have this big disparity of of online actual rubber and then this oily surface, including all the marbles and everything. So as soon as you get offline, you're pretty much you're pretty much gone. I I told everyone in the pre-race meeting, I'm like, don't even try and defend down into turn four early on in the race, because it is going to be so nasty and so oily and greasy that you might just send it off yourself. If you go down there and defend, Mm -hmm. um, I tried it in the warmup. So, I mean, that was, that was the biggest contributing factor, I think now. And, and I don't think it will be the same issue for future years because we've had repaved surfaces, but just this year it was repaved. It had to have been repaved in the past two months and we haven't had a lot of rain in Florida, so it hasn't really had time to set and get the oil washed off and whatnot. So we really just cleaned up the online section and it created this issue for everyone that went offline. Kyle Kirkwood is joining us. You talked about the the challenging day for Andretti Autosport to be polite. Now, there have been some races in the past where it's all gone wrong and you know the drivers, the team could point to themselves. That's not the case. Is there any consolation in that, that I don't believe any of the four drivers would be found at fault? The team is not at fault. The cars were fast. Does that help you move forward? What was, for Michael, just a horrible weekend? Yeah, I mean, it was, if you look at all the incidents, none none of them were our, were our faults. Um, so it's it's just super, super unfortunate the way it all played out. Um, I'd say for, for our for our incident, uh, I I take a little bit of blame from it from I guess from from our side because we we probably pitted a couple laps too too late and that that comes from me not filling in the team where we're at on tires and mm. it's very circumstantial but we ended up putting ourselves in a position that we're in the middle of the pack when we should have been up front um, so potentially there's a that's me just being kind of uh, a, a little bit. I, I guess annoyed with with the whole situation, but I, I've I've always found that if you're out front, you're very very less likely to get yourself in incidents. And I've had situations like in IMSA racing. I'm racing in, in in sports cars this weekend where we put ourselves back just off of strategy, and we destroyed the car just because we had massive accordion effect. And and I'm sure people all remember potentially the. Uh, the road Atlanta race a couple of years back where we got caught up in that with Jordan Taylor and whatnot. And that was just because we went off strategy and put ourselves back very far in, in, in the group. And it just puts yourself at risk sometimes. I don't like uh, psychoanalysis, but I'm going to bring, bring the question to you a little bit t- today in terms of a year ago, St. Pete was your first race in the IndyCar series last year, this being the first race of the new season. And without, comparing the two teams did you feel such a different did you feel different you just look like you had a different you know spring in your step is kind of the phrase you just look like there was a big amount of growth between year one and year two of indycar that maybe you didn't even see in the development series as you moved up did you feel that and was that real or i i'm sorry i'm, I'm not sure if i'm really understanding your question you're just saying the, di- <laughs> you the difference between the two teams is essentially what you're kind of getting at and what, what no, is kind I'm of not actually did you feel you did you feel like a different driver in year two versus year one um all the fundamentals are the same 
there's there's no difference you could put me you could put me in the car in the middle of last year and you'll probably be able to put me in the car in the middle of this year and and i'll be i'll be able to do the same lap times and what for you um i'd say the the one thing that that will be different though is kind of just the circumstances that you're in right i'm going into a lot of and which isn't the same i can't say the same for last year but i'm going into a lot of these race weekends knowing that we'll have a chance to win we're going to go into every single weekend and and that makes you want to work harder because you know you have a possibility um whereas last year you look at some events and you're like oh man i'm going to struggle at this event um so it does it does kind of change your attitude and changes your your demeanor about everything and it makes you want to work harder and and um and it just shows it shows across the entire team as well it's not only just me um it just shows a big amount of relaxation when you know things are going to go well because no one's under the gun it's not no one's pointing fingers it's not anyone's fault it's just um here it's everything's moving very fluid and um, it just helps everything and it, and it just calms you down really. Kyle Kirkwood is joining us. We'll shift to what's up next in the sports card this weekend in the uh, mobile one, 12 hours of Sebring on Saturday. I think I had this right. You're in the 14. Uh, you were in the 12 at Daytona. So you're in the pro car and and we've talked about this on the show and for non sports car people, it gets a little bit confusing. You're in the pro car, you were in the pro am, Cars are exactly the same. The The balance of performance is the same. They go the same lap times and so forth. But do you have to remind yourself for every stop, the team is pitted next to each other. What car am I in? Because this is not the first time you've gone back and forth. Have no, you kept I, track of how many times you've been in the 12 and how many times you've been in the 14? Yeah, no, they, they've definitely switched me back and forth. Um, it, it's it's kind of nice to be able to say that because they're, they're just like, oh, Kyle's such a diverse driver that they – they can just play, place me where they need them. And, and I like being that person. I, I don't, I don't mind it whatsoever. Um, at the end of the day, my, my sports car job is to hand off the car to whether it's Aaron Tielitz or Frankie Montecalvo or Jack Hawksworth or Ben Barnico. I'm really just that filler guy that, okay, we need to fill some drive time and okay, Kyle needs to go here. Kyle needs to go there and they want to be quick and know I'm going to probably keep the car the most clean out, out of uh, their options. So, um, I mean, it's 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 pretty easy to get get along with that. It, IMSA racing is so much different from IndyCar racing, though, because you have multiple drivers and everything's very relaxed, and you have this balanced performance thing that's going on. Um, that it's a lot of it's just hanging out and talking with your teammates and whatnot. And IndyCar is cutthroat because you're always just trying to find this one one hundredth. And sports cars isn't really like that. You're just trying to find a, a happy car that can go twelve hours, and everyone likes it. But it becomes cutthroat in the end, and that's up to Jack Hawksworth, right? In your car? Hey, I, I get to watch from the pit stand, which is probably more nerve-wracking, or it is definitely more nerve-wracking than being in the car. I know I've been in those situations where you're sitting outside the car and um, you're biting all your nails off. You're like, man, this is the most intense race ever. But then you're in the car and everyone's like, you get out of the car and then everyone's cheering you on for doing such an awesome job. And you're like, man, that wasn't, wasn't that big of a deal, I didn't think, from being in the car when you're in control. Um, so it, it actually, I get more excited maybe at sports car events and IndyCar car events, just because I'm not in the car and I'm just like freaking out for, for Jack Hawksworth to do really well. <laughs> um, I, I know at least, I don't think you've tested recently, but Ben Barnacote, I think was there recently in the car. What, what do you expect from a performance standpoint from the Lexus this weekend? Yeah, no. So we, we actually all tested. We were in, uh, oh, okay. we were in 
we were in Sebring about, I'd say about a month ago. It was it, it clearly before St. Petersburg. Um, man, I'm losing track of time now, but it, it was about a month ago. We, we seemed pretty quick. There was a few other manufacturers there. Um, we usually do pretty solid there, but um, th- they changed some BOP stuff up for this weekend. We're looking um, we're looking strong. I wouldn't say we're, we're the best, but we, we have, we're, we're kind of, we're in the mix at least. We're not sitting here uh, w- with our anchors out. That's for sure. In, in the Rolex, a pro-am car won in the GTD class, you know, it's still classified as two separate winners and you've bounced back. You were in the am car there. You were in the pro car. I guess my question is this, if you're in one class or the other, is there incentive to try to win GTD overall, or do you not worry about that and only look at the pro class? You know, for for example, if the uh, if an AM car is ahead of you guys, but you're the top pro with the red mirrors, is that all that matters? Yeah, no that that is all that matters for us. Um, now that you say that, we we don't even look. At what the other category is doing, even though we're, we're technically the same class, we don't even look at it. So all of our timing sheets and everything, they just show like for this weekend, it was just GTD pro cars. We only see those cars and where they're at on track. And then on the 12 car side, they only have uh, the pro-am. Um, so, so no, we, we don't look at that at all. We just want to win in our respective classes. Um, and if one if if the pro am car goes sailing off in the sunset, who cares? Let let them do that. <laughs> Can you describe to people what it's like driving at night at Sebring, especially what is it from like turns seven through ten or whatever after you get past the hotel it is, and it's just pitch dark? It is seriously dark. It is the most. <laughs> you think driving on public roads is dark when you're out in the middle of nowhere? go drive around Sebring at 130 miles per hour through some of these corners where you're at absolutely at your maximal limit. Um, and that will give you a new, a new, uh, perspective of what dark really is. And honestly, it's, it's, it's kind of funny you bring that up because we tested there about uh, when we tested there about a month ago, um, the track is actually a lot darker during the test because, come the race weekend, you have 150,000 people there with lights mm-hmm. everywhere, campers and whatnot. So you get this kind of um, aura of light and it's kind of, um, or I guess you should say light pollution from the track, from the inside of the track. So it actually brightens up everywhere. But during testing there, you feel like you can only see 10 feet in front of you. From a standpoint of driving an Indy car there and then a, a sports car there, does it, how long is the relearn process and it, you attack some corners differently. Yeah, you definitely do because in sports cars, you have ABS and traction control, obviously. Um, so how you use the brake and how you attack the throttle is quite a bit different. Uh, the sports car is a much more, um, the, the, uh, the best way to explain it is that, that there's no quiet time. You're either on the brake or you're on the throttle and you're always just kind of back and forth between that. The Indy car, you brake, you release light, and then you kind of try and roll speed, and then you're rolling into the throttle softly so you don't get wheel spin, whereas in the sports car, you don't have to really manage all that, that it has enough electronics to aid the driver um, to make sure that that's not really an issue. So it is a little bit different, but it's not um, it's not massively different. The line is pretty much identical. It's close to home for you, not too far away. Where 
Where did you first, when did you first drive at Sebring? Was that one of your early formula car tests or anything? Uh, no, it would have been, you know what? I've never driven any other type of formula car around Sebring other than Indy lights in IndyCar. Um, so I never did anything previous at Sebring, but I did the first time I drove there was in a Skip Arbor car when I won a Skip Arbor karting scholarship shootout. I believe it was. I'm not, don't, don't quote me on that. It was, it was, a, we ended up getting a scholarship from winning championships um, in karting in 2012. And I think in 2013, that was one of my first, it would have been my first test in any form of car. And it was an MX five skip Arbor car. And that was around Sebring. So that was, that was the first time I've been around there. An MX five car, not a skip Arbor formula car, an MX five car. No. Um, and I'm not sure it was probably a little bit more of my mom being concerned, uh, being a concerned mom. Like these, these cars don't look safe. Let's put you inside the car that has a, a roll cage and goes a little bit slower. Um, it has some, some elderly drivers driving it as well. <laughs> so, um, that, I think that was the, the reason why when I, when I got the scholarship that we used it all on actually MX five instead of the, the, uh, the skippy formula car. Full circle. A decade later, you can go for a Sebring 12-hour win. Very nice. That is the All plan. Right. Get back to Florida. I don't know why you're in Indiana when you live in Florida and they're racing in Florida, but it's it's good to have you in Indy for, for a few days and we'll all be warm again tomorrow. Yeah, thanks. I'll avoid the snow down there. <laughs> Kyle Kirkwood in the number 27 AutoNation Honda for Andretti Autosport and the number 14 Lexus for Vassar Sullivan in the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring coming up on Saturday. Uh, coming up, another driver that is in both paddocks, Josh Pearson, who will be well. He'll be in both races coming up this weekend in LMP2, in the World Endurance Championship, and also in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. He's an Indy Next driver too. He joins us next on Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Ellie. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Nevis, and you're listening to Trackside. Thank you for staying with us as Trackside continues, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. As we get set uh, with IndyCar off, we still have plenty of racing and plenty of names and people that we know competing this weekend at Sebring in a couple of endurance races with the World Endurance Championship, uh, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. And our next guest is doing both of them. And we can also talk a bit of IndyCar as well. He's a driver in Indy Next for HMD with Ed Carpenter Racing, the number 14 open context car. It's Josh Pearson. Josh, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Kevin? It's good to have you on the show. I'm great. Thank you. Um, and for those that don't know Josh, we're going to introduce you to him. He is the youngest ever that has raced in the Rolex 24, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. He is now a whopping 17 years old for a month, and he's already entering his second um, Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. Before we get to the sports car stuff coming up this weekend, let's talk about St. Petersburg, uh, your Indy Next debut one of 19 cars, and you are unfortunately one of many that got caught up by the walls and the mess and everything. Uh, but still, what was the experience like just getting some laps, moving up one step away from IndyCar? Yeah, you know, I think I think it's important to, to look at the positives. Um, you know, having having not been in a, in a formula car for a year, 
obviously there was a lot to get back and, and get comfortable with you know formula cars are, are they tend to be very light compared to what i'm driving on, on the world endurance championship and in imsa so um you know they're very light car very nimble um and they present a a, a different challenge and, and a different driving style compared to, to what i'm used to so it was a it was about getting back into the swing of that and and you know finding finding my footing and a way to adapt but you know i think it's also important to to look at the weekend as a whole um you know I, i'm definitely uh a, a little bit in over my head in a sense with indy next you know kind of throwing myself to the wolves hmm. considering i only did usf 2000 before before coming to lmp2 and and i didn't really have to be you know in my first year here in lmp2 I, I didn't have to be as good as a lot of the pro guys because you know that wasn't my role i was the silver so you know i'm here to be as good as the other silvers and 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 so i i didn't really have to be super super good so um you know still a lot for me to learn in my career and and this year you know i'm a way better driver in it for in the lmp2 car than i was last year so um there's still a lot to learn for me especially on the indy next side and without doing you know what is you know usf pro 2000 now um you know i think there's a there's a lot for me to still learn but a lot of positives to take away from from my first weekend you know we had one practice where i was p4 or something so um you know i did have some some pace in me uh, throughout the weekend and and you know i didn't struggle too much physically in the car so um, you know, all positive sides and, and, you know, with, with the Ed Carpenter deal as well, um, you know, for me, it was super positive to see, um, you know, Ed Carpenter being so involved himself and, and having a radio for all the sessions and, and just trying to, to help when he can, you know, even though we had a pretty back-to-back schedule there, I, I loved being able to see Ed be really involved in it. Um, and, you know, for me, it was, it was nice to be able to, to have some of the mechanics from, from Ed Carpenter stop and talk to me. And I'm, and I'm trying to spend more time over in their pit as well. So, um, you know, a lot of positives to take away and, and, you know, even though I think, you know, it was unfortunate that I found the wall on I think lap 27, but, um, you know, that's, it's honestly, it's, it's a welcomed change for me because it's been a, it's been a long time since I wadded up a car. Um, but in a sense, I think it's, it's a good thing to see that, you know, I'm trying and I'm, and I'm pushing. Um, so I didn't, I never crashed the the USF car in, in 2021 and I haven't, um, I haven't had a, a crash yet in the, in the LMP2 car. So just had some minor spins and, and minor contact, but, you know, I haven't really put it in a wall. So it's been a long time since that's happened, but, you know, I think it's, I think it's good to, to take away the positives and, and to look at it in a good light. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of uh, positives to take away from that weekend in general. So, you know, I'm just looking forward to getting back in that car in, in Indianapolis. Obviously, I won't be able to do Barber because of WEC, but, um, you know, I, I think it's still I'm still looking forward to getting to jumping back in an Indy and and getting another another shot at it. And, and as you mentioned, it's not a full Indy next campaign because you're also doing World Endurance Championship races. That's a series that that runs Le Mans and also is uh, running on Friday this weekend at, at Sebring. So you'll miss Barber. I think Detroit is the other one that you'll miss. And. I feel like in some ways you can be you can develop a little bit more than some of the others in Indy Next. You've said it's at least a two-year program, and I, I count five or six probably that are looking at this season saying, I gotta win the championship. If anything less than the championship is gonna be a disappointment, how does that help you just trying to progress this year? Yeah, you know, I think I think it's a big deal um, to to really have the Ed Carpenter deal behind me because it doesn't put a lot of pressure on me to to perform. Um, you know, I, I want to do the best I can, obviously, but at the same time, 
you know, I know that I have a pretty solid future um, in in the making. So it's for me, it's about you know, it's it's putting all my focus and attention on learning and improving and and trying to be the best driver I can be by the time I get to IndyCar, instead of you know really pushing for that championship and, and stressing myself out with that. I think it's more important to to take everything, you know, in, in one step at a time in a sense and and slowly, slowly walk my way there. You know, I think it's it's almost a sense of, you know, walking before before you can run. Um, you know, I don't I don't want to try and sprint when I don't know how to walk yet. So um, there's a lot to learn. And, and, you know, I think the car in itself, there's a lot of unique challenges. You know, you have a, a front and rear bar that you can work with. And and for me, that's really been one of the hardest things to get used to is, is having, you know, tools in the car besides, you know, the brake and throttle that I can use to, to help me if I'm struggling with something, you know, whether that's understeer or oversteer, you know, I have tools to help me. Um, and I think that's really, you know, where we saw that my incident in St. Pete come into play is I, I didn't really mess with the brake bias much, mm. um, but I had been locking the left front a couple of times each lap and, and it's important to, to learn and have that moment of realization. Like I, I can go, I can go rearward on brake bias here to, to help myself. Um, but I didn't do that. And ultimately that ended, that ended me in the wall. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's all about learning, you know, how I can help myself in the car and, 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 you know, the tools I have available to really, you know, if I'm struggling with something, I need, I need to learn to help myself. Um, but you know, that's part of it. And, and that's why I'm here. And that's why I think that, you know, even though I'm throwing myself to the wolves in a sense, I think it's, I think it's, you know, the best decision for me to, to throw myself in that position, especially with the, with the Ed Carpenter deal. I've got so many people behind me this year, um, that, you know, I'm really thankful for that are giving me a, a, a really good opportunity and, and are giving me a lot. So really, really happy with, you know, I think in general with how the first weekend went, obviously didn't want to end it that way, but I think it's just about, like I said, you know, one step at a time and, and learning to walk before I run. Josh Pearson is joining us, 17 years old from the Portland, Oregon area, racing at Sebring this weekend and also an Indy Next driver. Um, let's get into your background a little bit. Almost everybody that's where you're at started when they were young. Uh, and when I say young, usually it's eight, nine, ten, maybe six. You guys took it to the extreme. When did you start driving? Yeah, so I was first in a go-kart at two. Um, not, not your most normal situation, but, you know, I think it stems from, um, my dad looks back at it now and says he was crazy, but, (laughs) you know, I think, I think we all would look back and say he was a bit crazy. So, um, but I love him, you know, I, I love my family and, and I'm really thankful for, for everything they've given me, you know, they've been super supportive, you know, everyone from, you know, my grandparents to my sister, um, they've been really supportive and, and enjoy watching my progression. So, and my family is a, my family's, you know, big racing fans. My grandma always used to watch IndyCar and and the Indy 500 and still does. Um, so, you know, I've got a big racing family, um, but we never had any professional racing drivers in our family. My dad did, you know, local stuff in, in SCCA at PIR, but never really anything super serious. And we had a friend at the track, a friend of his named, uh, Matt Crandall. And he, when my sister turned five, you know, my dad happened to be racing. And so we had a little, little birthday balloon towing behind her. Um, and he said, Oh, how old? And, and my dad was like five. He's like, it's time for carding. And this is like, you know, I think this is the point where you kind of get lulled in, you know, you have no idea what you're, what you're getting into and, and how big the carding scale is. Cause there's, there, there wasn't a, there didn't used to be a lot of media attention around carding. So, you know, you had no idea of knowing how big this world was. Um, and I was too young, but, you know, I, it was obvious that I wanted to do it. 
Um, I was apparently pushing my sister out of the car. I don't remember it, but apparently I tried to shove her out of the way. So um, that was pretty aggressive. I think it too. I, I don't know if I was that aggressive now, but um, it's, you know, I, they could tell I wanted to do it. And and so, you know, Chris Egger from Pat's Acres and the whole Egger family um, have been really kind to me and, you know, have almost given me the keys to Pat's Acres. They told me, you know, they told my dad when I was little, they're like, look, the track is closed on Mondays you can have him come out and drive. Um, and, and, you know, he even let, um, he even had his kids come coach me, um, for the first couple of years when I was really little there. So, um, you know, super grateful to the Egger family for, for everything they've done and, and, you know, helped me with. So, you know, definitely, you know, a, a big part of, of my career and, and my upbringing. And then you continued being younger than most when you run the Rolex last year at 15 years old, uh, and that got a lot of attention. I thought you did fine. And I, th- I I was telling people he'll be fine. There are many other drivers that we should be more worried about in the Rolex 24 that, than Josh Pearson. But tell me the story that I'm sure you've told others that you told me a couple of months ago about what you're feeling going into the roar, which is is a race as well. The week before the Rolex 24 yeah. last year. Uh, very nervous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It was, you know, I think it was a, it was a huge jump for me from from USF 2000 to, to LMP2, and and you know, I think I I'm grateful to, to Steven Simpson, my my driver coach, for for you know for letting me know that this was the right path to take and the right step, um, because you know I thought he was crazy at first. I'll never forget St. Pete in in 2020 at the end of the Road to Indy that year. Um, you know he was talking to my dad and and they were coming up with this plan. And he's like, you know, I think, you know, he's like, I, I, I drove this car for professionally. And, and I think that it's a really good car for development. I think that there's a lot to learn in sports cars. And, you know, I think we should go run Le Mans. And uh, when he, when he told me that I thought he was crazy. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I didn't really believe him, but you know, he, he knew people in the sports car paddock and, and that ultimately led to a test with PR one. And I must've done pretty well because the next day there was a contract on my desk for, for IMSA. So, um, you know, I think it was, it was safe to say that I was very nervous coming into the Roar weekend and, and being, you know, in the spotlight It's the first time I had been in a series that, you know, was televised and had that kind of coverage. So, you know, I was really focused on not making mistakes. Um, I just wanted to, to get through it cleanly and, and not, you know, have errors that, that made me, uh, that painted me in a wrong light, especially, you know, considering, John Doonan and, and IMSA, they had, they had done, they had, you know, kind of, they had, uh, they had poked a lot of holes to, to get me in there and, and get me doing it because I was actually technically too young to, yeah. to do it. I was 15, but you can't have the the license to do that at 15. So I was under a very special waiver. Um, and I can't thank John Doonan and, and IMSA enough for, for letting me do it and, and trusting me. Um, they didn't trust me blindly. Of course, there was a lot of effort that went into that behind the scenes. Um, we had a lot of drivers come out um, that IMSA would send out to my tests to come watch one of which was, um, Jonathan Bomarito, who actually ended up being my teammate. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it was a long process, but, you know, I, I really appreciate John Doonan and, and IMSA for, for letting me do it. And, and also, you know, PR one and, and Bobby Oracle for, for kind of, you know, coaching me and, and, and helping me be in a better frame of mind. And, and all my co-drivers as well, you know, were really supportive that weekend. Um, more so, um, Harry Ticknell. Um, who I absolutely love. He's, he's a good friend of mine now, but I'll never forget uh, the, the first session of the roar. I was on the wall getting ready to get in and I was pretty much shaking. Um, 
And Harry saw this situation unfolding and, and kind of came up and, and tapped me on the shoulder and was like, look, you're going to be fine. You've done it before. Just jump in and, and go. And, and uh, I really appreciated that. And I think it did a, it did a great job at, at calming me down before I went out. So, um, you know, I, I love the fact that he was paying attention and, and noticed that. And um, I, I was lucky to have, you know, a, a really supporting atmosphere at Daytona and throughout the year and obviously a bit of a shakeup now um, driving for TDS and the endurance cup, but you know, still a lot of uh, familiar faces in this paddock now. And I'm, I'm super comfortable in, in this paddock now, you know, whether it's the WEC paddock or the IMSA paddock, I know a lot of the, the faces here and, and a lot of the drivers and I'm super comfortable here and, and everyone's done a lot for me. So really grateful to United, you know, PR one for, for that first year and, and trusting me to, to do my job. Josh Pearson is joining us. He'll be in the number 35 TDS racing LMP2 in the, the Sebring 12 hours this weekend. Are you still with United in the World Endurance Championship on Friday? So I'll still be with yep. United Autosports. Yep. Different lineup. Um, last year, we had Paul DeResta and Ollie Jarvis for this race. Um, and Alex was our was our full-time guy, but he was focusing on the 12 hours, so he couldn't do this one. Um, this Lynn, year, yeah. we lost Alex Lynn for, uh, to Cadillac. I'm pretty sad about that because I, I really love Alex. You know, I enjoyed working with him, and and um, you know I think he was he was really good at coaching, especially at the end of the year. I think he got better at it. You know, at the start he was uh, a little bit timid to say things to me, but at the end he figured out that he could just be mean with me, um, which I appreciate. You know, I, I like it when they're a bit hard on me because it you know it forces me to, to work harder. Um, so obviously this year we have uh, Oliver Jarvis and, and Tom Blomquist who are joining me, and two oh, wow. really amazing talents. Um, you know, this is my second year working with Ollie now, and I, I absolutely love him. And and Tom is just a he's a big personality. He's a good character. So, um, you know, really excited to to jump in in the race with both of them. And even just from testing, I've enjoyed working with them. So really excited to jump in there. And and on the IMSA side, um, Guido Vandergaard and, and Francois Edio. Um, you know, I think TDS is a is a great team. It's been a bit interesting for me to get used to um, coming from, you know, pri primarily English speaking teams. TDS is, is French um, and a lot of the mechanics, you know, don't speak English as a first language. So it's it can be a little difficult to understand a lot of the mechanics at first. But after Daytona and I've gotten very used to, to it now. So definitely, you know, fitting feeling at home in, in all the teams that I'm with this year. What's the uh, the adjustment going from the Indy Next car to LMP2, and then you'll be doing it back again in another month or so? Um, you know, I, I think it's easier to go from Indy Next to this car than it is to go from this car to Indy Next. Um, Indy Next is, I think, more difficult to drive. It's you know, it's it's got steel brakes, which aren't uh, is. I think the big difference is, is carbon brakes and. Steel brakes and, and the downforce that each car has you know the different levels um obviously no power steering in any next so it's a lot more physical um but you do at the same time you know the lmp2 car has carbon brakes which are are more of a task to manage so i think in general there's more there's more managing going on with with the lmp2 car in terms of you know not really in terms of your tires and your fuel and, and endurance racing is, is a big challenge in that aspect, but also, you know, temperatures, uh, carbon brakes are very sensitive. If they're not in the operating window, they almost don't work at all. If they're too cold. They're not going to work. And if they're too hot, you, you run the risk of almost exploding them. So, um, carbon brakes are very sensitive in, in that area, but they have a lot more stopping power. So, you know, I'd say that's probably one of the bigger adjustments is, is learning, to kind of back up my brake zones a bit when I'm in the Indian X car. And, and we saw it at St. Pete, you know, my first session, I was a bit too hot 
into a lot of the break zones. Um, so that's, that's been part of it. Um, but you know, I think the Indy next car is really good for my development in this car, um, in, in kind of that opposite effect, because the Indy next car is, is a bit harder to drive to me. And, and it's more about, you know, the Indy next car is more about managing the tools that you have to, to help your yourself rather than to help the team with, you know, tire management or fuel saving. You know, I talk about those, those rear and front bars, which are really hard for me to, to wrap my head around coming from a car where I don't have those. Um, and you know, for me, it's been just trying to experiment with them and trying to use them at each weekend. So definitely more of an adjustment coming from LMP2 to Indy next, but I would say it almost has the opposite effect where coming from Indy next to this car, I feel like I always make a huge improvement. Um, so I think it's a, it's a challenge, but you know, I, it's one that I've signed up for and, and I think it's, I, I think it's going to help me as a driver. I think it's always a, a useful benefit to be able to adapt. Um, and that's, that's been one of my strengths really as a driver has been, you know, being able to jump in and out of these cars and, and adapt, uh, fairly quickly. And, you know, I, I did a lot of that coming up through the ranks. You know, I, I did a lot of, um, non-historical road racing, um, well, I did, I did a lot of stuff that road racing drivers wouldn't normally do. You know, I, I'd raced uh, micro sprints on the dirt for a little bit and, you know, I still love doing that. That was really my karting mechanic that got me into that. So, um, I love dirt racing and, and I've, I've just, I've just tried to, to use, you know, any tool I could to, to kind of throw myself in a situation I wouldn't normally be in and, and learn to adapt because I think there's, you know, there's something to learn in, in all these different disciplines. And for me, it's about, you know, taking a, taking the information from all these disciplines and, and, and moving it around because there's things that, you know, they might do on one end of the spectrum that help me in another. Um, and it's, how can I use those to my advantage? So I think it's always an advantage to be doing more, um, and, you know, experiencing more in, in my very, uh, young career. Have you driven at night yet at Sebring? And do you expect to do that on Saturday? I have driven at night in Sebring uh, from last year. I did, you know, Sebring is a very unique event in the sense that the basic strategy is to get the bronze out of the way. So usually we we try and get the bronze out of the way quickly and then the silver and the platinum are, are doubling to the end. Um, so I've been in the car at night last year. Um, Sebring is, is difficult at night because a lot of the track isn't lit up very well. More, you know, the turn seven to turn 10 complex doesn't have a lot of lighting. So it's pretty, um, it's pretty dark and, and difficult to see, but it's, it's honestly not the worst track we go to, um, at night. Le Mans is way worse in my opinion. Mm. Um, but it's, it's something that I'm used to. So, um, definitely going to have to jump back in and, and, and re kind of get back used to that, but that's why we have night practice. So, um, I should, I should do just fine, but it is, it is a, it is a unique, a unique challenge of Sebring is that kind of, you know, transitioning from a pretty lit up section to a almost, you know, nothing there section. Uh, I've taken up too much of your time. So we're going to have you back on again, maybe in May. And we want to talk about Lamar because you did last year and you'll be in the hundredth this year. So that will be cool. Uh, good luck this weekend. I'm in your pit. So I'll see you on Saturday and you are a part of what about 20 hours of racing over the weekend between the, the thousand mile or eight hour world endurance championship race on Friday and then the 12 hour on Saturday. So get a nap, get to bed early, get your rest. That's why you're young. You can handle it. Thanks, Josh. Thank you very much, Kevin. I appreciate it. I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you Saturday. Josh Pearson will be in both races this weekend at Sebring, and we'll see him in Indy next again in May at Indianapolis with HMD. He is development driver for Ed Carpenter Racing. There is a plan for him to move to IndyCar within the next couple of years with them as well. Stay with us. We'll see what we missed and other stuff coming up. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5. The 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Fan. Hi, this is Tony Kanan, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, time to go to the Twitter machine. Questions at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Before I forget, we're back next Tuesday night. Full two-hour show from 7 until 9. Jeff Hildebrand 29 at Football OC asks, Do you think with the blatant cheating by MSR at Daytona, IndyCar tech inspections will be extra critical of the 06 and 60 this season? No, I don't think so. And you know, blatant cheating, I, mean, I, I guess that's what it is. But I tend to believe Michael Shank when he says I wasn't aware of this. Yes, he's a team owner that you know has driven and he's involved in strategy, but I don't know that he's involved in engineering the race car and tire pressures. He hires people to do those things. And let's think about it from an engineer's perspective. And I'm not um, covering for what someone did to manipulate the rules. And for those that didn't hear the beginning of the show, uh, Meyer Shank, who won the Rolex 24, had all of their points taken away. They were allowed to keep the watches and keep the win uh, for manipulating tire pressure rules. There are minimum tire pressures, and they essentially uh, manipulated the sensors for that. And the engineer in charge of that has been fired. The team says that he made the decision, and he alone. Uh, so the engineer is under pressure to perform, and you're always looking for that edge, and it's a fine line, as we have seen many times in, in other forms of, of motorsport. But they don't have a reputation for this. They've stood up. They've taken their medicine. Credit to Honda for not covering things up as well. Uh, so, no, I don't see any repercussions uh, on the IndyCar side. And I wouldn't think on the IMSA side as well. I don't suspect they'll be getting into any kind of issues moving forward here. It's a shame that that's overshadowed a, a little bit. But you have to take your medicine when you get caught with something like that. Cam Soups FL, when will they announce the Carb Day bans? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't. So I was going to do a Google search when they announced last year, and that might give you a, a sense. But even if they do know who it is at this point, you know, there's always a plan of spreading things out and making sure you continually have news once a week or so leading up to it but sometimes it's just a matter of hey we've got this number one target we're trying to negotiate uh no didn't get that done and we we go from there but my guess is that's usually sometime soon early april at least but should be coming soon steve leonard at sb leonard 2 maybe i missed this but do we know why power chose to keep car number 12 and not use number one as the defending champ this season you know what we did miss that and i don't remember maybe i've forgotten but i don't remember that being asked from last fall so if anyone recalls that uh shoot it to us did will do that the last time around that he won the championship i don't recall i remember dixon did it one time didn't go well so he's never going back and and taking number one you know, Will has a strong association with number 12, so that does not surprise me that he would not want to change from that standpoint. But it is a good question. If someone recalls, uh, please send it along. Chris at Truth Teller 3030 uh, asked about getting Delta Force to open the Indy 500 broadcast, and I, uh, mostly joking, said send that along to Townsend Bell. He does Q&As after races and, and 
we have anointed him as the person that will take all ideas up to upper management to do things like that. Uh, other questions? I remember I saw one other from a few days ago. Oh, from John Day, 81 Indy. Not complaining, just comparing. The one-month wait between the first and second IndyCar race is like being so excited to open gifts on Christmas, only to be told you can open just one, but you have to wait until near the end of January to open the rest. Yeah, fair point. Like I said, it's not ideal. It's not preferred. I would really like to see a more condensed schedule as well and continue some momentum. I like that they're off this weekend. They shouldn't be head-to-head with Sebring. You know, I'm not sure this is a great weekend to race anyway. Head-to-head with the NCAA tournament, uh, it's not good ratings. So this is a good weekend to be off. Even weekend number two of the NCAA tournament is not great. But next weekend would be a little bit better. Maybe it's running back-to-back and racing last weekend as well. But I'm hopeful that something like that happens. Could Laguna Seca run earlier? Maybe. Um, I'm sure people are efforting, but it's a work in progress. We're out of time. I hear it's going to rain. That's the forecast at Sebring. It's already wild. It will be even more wild. Join us on Peacock, 10 a.m. for sports car racing. uh, And then we'll join USA Network at 4.30 for the Sebring 12 hours. We'll see you next Tuesday night here at 7, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.